Hey guys, and welcome back to Joko Yo. Um, it's been a while since the last episode. We've been uh, we've been pretty busy and uh, ready to pick right back up. And today we are going into a period. We've actually hit this period a lot, but I feel that it's sort of necessary. No, not even sort of, but completely necessary to give some background to to the I guess to the point of view of the people that lived as best I can of course that lived the time period that that we that we spend so much time on and the time period that we're going into today is in case you have not been able to tell from the title is during the period of reconstruction known in the American South and North Carolina and Johnston County and also the period just after because it's going to set up the, the next podcast for the next next couple podcasts next week We spent a lot of time, or we have spent a lot of time, talking about the periods of Reconstruction and the post-Reconstruction South and their impact on Johnston County, this small southern county in the middle of North Carolina, because there was really no other time like it before or since. Now, Reconstruction, um, in historical terms, is roughly from 1865 to 1877, but of course the, the repercussions are long, far longer lasting. It was a period of change, significant change, and in case you're not a historical trend watcher or have not ever lived among the people of the rural South or the Midwest even, well, here's something for you to know. Rural populations don't really care much for change, even if they know that that change is right, is good, or is necessary. People that live in rural areas... They are defined by agriculture, either working agriculture or in industries that rely on that agriculture. People who rely on something that is innately unreliable, the weather, to survive, will likely have very little appetite for changes, even small changes. A, su- a surprise rain, a sudden increase in the price of fertilizer or fuel, a law passed to satisfy voting blocks in urban populations that may have little to no idea of how modern agriculture works. If you miss a very small window to plant seeds, if maybe it just rained, it's the right time for it. Maybe there's a surprise frost. There literally is no shortage of things that can completely destroy a crop or make it impossible to plant next year. Now, the wealthier farmers, of course, even this is even today, the wealthier farmers can withstand these changes better than the small farmers who is in competition with those wealthy farmers. For the small farmer and the small of the farm that, that you get, every day is literally a gamble and another day of living on the edge. Now, they may, they may well be nervous, small farmers, maybe scared. They are certainly under pressure from things both seen and unseen. Slight changes, even though they know that these changes may be right, fair, necessary, are still changes to a system that is uncertain by nature. Slight changes could mean that a small farmer's kids might suffer. Sudden slight changes will sink more farmers that that already have very little wiggle room. Large changes will take out more farmers, and sudden large changes can destroy the economies of an entire region, which, on an individual scale, that means thousands, if not millions of people will suffer. And the power, the, or the poorer 
that they are, the, the less cushion and the, and the power they're going to lose. And the less the cushion that they have, the harder the impact. So, you know, this is one reason why rural areas tend even today to be more conservative. Conservation means to keep things, to conserve them. And you can apply this to the environment or to political movements. People whose livelihoods in entire areas are built around the mercy of unmerciful weathered patterns have very little appetite for any changes. The weather itself could sink them. They don't need more sinking things. Now, many rural Southerners, even when they know, even when they knew slavery was wrong, knew or felt that a fundamental change in it, especially dismantling of the system, would be a major and sudden change and would be disastrous to them and their ability to feed their families. Now, for many poor white farmers of the region of Johnston County, too, their support for a confederacy and his promise to protect slavery was not necessarily motivated primarily by racism, although it was for a lot of them. For some people, for a lot of people, it was a preservation. It was a, ma- a measure of security and a way of life that has very little of it. And when the alternative was a significant disruption... Many poor white farmers in 1860 and throughout the American Civil War expressed outright anger at the large plantation owners who were also the politicians that put them in the position of making them choose between justice and survival. Indeed, many small southern whites of the period were further angry at those, those big plantation owners because it was the poor southern white person that would be forced to fight on the side of injustice and support a system that they disagreed with and that they themselves felt victimized by, even if it was in a different way and not nearly as severe as the slaves themselves. And when the, and when the rich ones that were causing the war were not the ones that were going to go fight. Now, I'm not for a second trying to absolve poor white Southerners for slavery or the American Civil War. Not at all. Not at all. I am saying there's, 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 a, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of gray area here, and, and, and especially as it pertains to this county, which is what this podcast is about. See, the poor, the, the poor farmers, the poor white farmers, saw the large plantation owners as creating a system of slavery which kept them poor, partially by resisting the distribution of technologies to the region that would make agriculture more efficient and which would give the poor white farmer more of a cushion and improve their own circumstances. But the wealthy plantation owners profited from slavery The poor were kept poor because they couldn't compete, and they were being forced to defend it because the future without this system was one more level of insecurity. A future without slavery had unknown circumstances and unknown consequences. At least a, a present with slavery was a known quantity. Now, for wealthy landowners, a loss of slavery would mean bankruptcy. Now, one could argue that they had, since 1609, they had, they had ever since 1609, when the very first slaves stepped off the boat in Jamestown, they had the time 
from 1609-1860 to back away from slavery. And it would be right to do. But successive generations of Southern whites built their livelihoods around this institution, and many protected the system of slavery, not because they were racist jerks, although this definitely plays a part, but because they also were scared and afraid not to protect it. Again, when your entire livelihood is based on the weather, it's not exactly a secure kind of environment. Of course, now the abolition of slavery meant hope to a degree that the word hope is simply not sufficient. I mean, for the, for the slavery or for, for the slave, I don't think the word hope fits. Expression of that hope out loud was, it was indeed impermissible, but it was felt so strongly that it has to be unique to the situation. At the same time, slaves also knew that whites knew that they were hopeful and excited for delivery out of slavery, and many took every possible opportunity to, de to declare their own allegiance to, to the system of slavery that kept them down, because doing otherwise would endanger their own families. So, of course, the South lost, despite the white attempts to preserve the old order. They fought on the wrong side and lost anyway. And the, uncertain, the uncertainty they hoped to stave off turned out to be inevitable, as justice usually is eventually. Their lives were ruined, most were ashamed, and many of them became quite angry. Anger and shame together tends to sprout the need to scapegoat, and the freed slaves became that target. Now, for former slaves, becoming the object of intensified anger quickly is going to shove to the side away any idea of living beside white Southerners in a state of equality. When Reconstruction ended, that anger was unleashed, and so was that embarrassment. In either case, it was the creation of a new world full of uncertainty, frustration for all groups. Now, to paint every rich white or poor white or former slave's experience with one brush is a fool's errand. But providing this picture sets up a frame, so to speak, of the events of not only this period, but everyone after. See, Johnston had effectively no rich plantation owners, no plantations to speak of, maybe, maybe two smaller plantations compared to the other ones, leaving in Johnston County poor whites who lived on the margins and slaves, and later, later poor freedmen. That's what we had. So poor Johnstonians came out in large numbers to defend this way of life. Whether it was racist or not, it was still their way of life, and that's all they knew. Again, they had time to back away from it. They didn't. They knew it was wrong. We have documentation of Johnstonians and people throughout the South that say it. they know it's wrong. You can be wrong and still be racist in this case. Now, for many, it was the, still the only security these small farmers had. And Johnston, just to give you some numbers, in 1860 had approximately 10,500 free white people, with a little over 5,000 of them being men. 1,500 of them, or 30% of the total male population, served in the American Civil War. North Carolina as a whole lost the second most number of men, with Virginia being the first. Virginia is also where most of the battles were fought, so that makes sense. It's on the border. The exact number of Johnston soldiers who died is unknown. We don't know. 
what we do have, the only records we do have, you know, we can go into the Heritage Center. You can see all kinds. You can see the records of who fought when uh, as best they can, re- you know, recollect and recall and find. But what we do have from Johnston is the fact that there's a man named William Raines Lee from Johnston County that enlisted in the, U- in the United States Army. A Johnston County man enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1864 after having served as a Confederate. Apparently, he saw the error of his ways. We also have, we also have a man named Charles Canada, Calvin Sanders, Prince Boylan, and a man named Joseph Smith II, who served in the United States Colored Corps out of Johnston County. Again, not trying to absolve anybody. Not trying to absolve anybody. Y'all, I have visited battlefields, and, and I don't know about you. It's, it's a sad place. It's a sad place, but honestly... Visiting Civil War battlefields makes me honestly angry. And I guess in that case, I'm a little bit like uh, Rhett Butler from the movie Gone with the Wind. It was the war, you know, in my opinion, was completely, and, and the result, the end result of the war was completely foreseeable. There's no way that that the Confederacy was going to win. No way. No way. They were outmanned, outgunned, out everything. There was no way. Numbers don't lie. The worst you could do, the, the most you could do, if you're the Confederacy, is try to just harass and frustrate the Union troops, but not whenever you've got a president that has decided that the unity of the country is his job. Civil War battlefields make me angry. So much waste, so much loss is unnecessary. But it still happened. But at the same time, under that, under that unnecessary waste is a lot of people whose stories and whose motivations for participating in that waste are not completely and totally one-sided. Most of Johnston's soldiers were poor farmers who did not have much and who really on the surface should not care about plantations and slavery because they don't have either. A lot of people were fighting because living on the margins was hard enough and disrupting those margins was unnecessarily going to complicate their lives that much more. They did not know what was going to happen afterwards. Not saying they weren't racist. I can't I can't judge anybody's emotions. I'm not I can only I can only take care of me. But what I can say, what I can say is that a lot of people, a lot of small Johnston farmers were freaking the heck out. They didn't so much see the positivity or the negativity of slavery. They just saw their lives getting disrupted, their kids' lives getting disrupted, and a lot of them just chose that wanted to not have the disruption because they had disruption enough. And it came to them anyway because they picked the wrong side. 
So, this podcast hopefully is going to set up a frame from which we're going to have a conversation tomorrow about, well not tomorrow, but the next uh, next episode about what came next and some things that came out of this reconstruction and post-reconstruction period that gives us, I don't know, uh, almost like a sense of, of heroism. And uh, until next time, guys, and I will talk to you later. Be good.